I'm Erin Worsham, Executive Director of the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship at Duke University. And this is Case in Point, a podcast where we explore how social ventures can leap the chasm from idea to impact at scale. All right, last time on Case in Point, we had the chance to record a live interview with Elisa Villanueva Beard, the CEO of Teach for America. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and check it out. It was a great journey into her her personal narrative, the scaling journey of Teach for America, Elisa's thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and much, much more. But if you're a total social entrepreneurship geek like I am, then you probably left that conversation wanting more. I know I did. So I had the chance to sit down with Elisa after our live conversation, and we got to chat some more about some of the lessons learned and the tactics that Teach for America has learned on their path to scale. In particular, we focused on the really interesting question of centralization versus decentralization. This is a question that many social ventures face as they expand geographically. They know that context matters so much in the new regions that they're exploring, and so they think about wanting to decentralize and allow for more localized control and adaptation. But on the other hand, they're also worried about not being able to control quality or branding, and so there's a a tension of wanting to remain more centrally controlled and focused. And so I dove into that with Elisa. How has Teach for America thought about that balance of central control versus local adaptation? So let's hear from Elisa about how they evolved in their thinking and the tactics that they put in place to course correct over the years. Elisa, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Great. It's good to be here. I'd, I'd love to dig into a topic that we hear often from social ventures that we work with, where as they are thinking about expanding geographically and growing their organization, they struggle with finding the right balance between centralized control mm. and making sure that they know what needs to remain consistent and standard about their program versus allowing the flexibility to adapt locally given different contexts and situations. And finding that balance between control and flexibility is actually a really difficult balance to to achieve. I know the TFA has has thought a lot about this through Mm -hmm. its evolution. Uh, We've seen Teach for America expand uh, through a regional model to now 51 regions. Mm So I'm curious to get your thoughts on how TFA's thinking has evolved related to this balance of control versus flexibility. Yeah. Um, Well, so we've been on a journey, so we're 27 years into it. And I I do think it's really important that we ground ourselves in like the cycle of life that the organization is in and really being attuned to the needs. So of course, when we were a startup, it was very scrappy and everyone sort of just leading out in front, showing what's possible. And, you know, and you get to, you know, everyone's just mostly doing their own thing and, and, and able to bring together big ideas and test things and, you know, very fluid, I would say. Um, and then when we got in a position to scale our efforts through growth, and we decided that that was really important for us to do about a decade in, um, we were setting out to do a few things. One, we wanted to be able to be at a size that matters. The problem is so big and so complex that 
numbers actually were going to matter and the demand for TFA was just growing. We also were very committed to ensuring that we were effective um, and we needed to show that we were having real outcomes with kids in the classroom and then also spurring the alumni movement that after two years we were accelerating the, accelerating the leadership of our alumni. Um, and so what we decided to do and I became our chief operating officer as we launched our second growth plan was to really have a matrix centralized system because we were growing at unprecedented rates. So like for 13 years straight, we had an 18% compound annual growth rate. And the only way to manage effectiveness was to manage the heck out of it, mm -hmm. really is how we did it at least. Um, and we were all sort of put in jobs that were just way bigger than us. And we were really hands-on and learning as we went. Um, and so we became very centralized and matrix. I mean, lots of nets to sort of catch mistakes and ensure that we were being successful. And the stakes were super high because we had to make sure that at the end of this we would say and we're good and we like have built all these assets as, as we did it and so that is what happened during that phase the thing to keep in mind that we thought a lot about too is leadership is everything in this so you have to have a model where you're still able to attract incredible leaders who are leading these regions even when you're centralized and have enough space to lead where they, they don't want prescribed strategies. And so you have to have enough room, like the balance of even as we were really centralized, how to make sure our executive directors who lead these regions feel really empowered and have a voice and our, our, our executives and treated as such. And so we were constantly trying to find that balance and sometimes we were doing better than other times. But if our executive directors were not happy, the whole thing would fall apart. Um, and so that was really important and once we were maybe by 2011 or 2012, we had grown so fast, so from like 22 regions to 48 during this period, and we were realizing, you know, the ecosystems had grown pretty dramatically. So New York City that almost had 5,000 alums and, you know, and what had happened policy-wise and, you know, all the things going on there were so different from the Mississippi Delta, for example. And so we realized we're not gonna win through like at the center telling our regions, here's how to go do it. Um, that in fact, there were so many assets and resources that had developed locally that our executive directors and regional teams and boards locally needed to be looking at the community and how, what are we doing to work alongside people um, to really drive change? And this is when the conversation for us started of, we need to decentralize this. Like the how we do this needs to be answered in the regions and, you know, and the strategies will actually be different on how we're pursuing our mission. And so that is the, the journey we have been on over the last six years is figuring out how to do that more autonomously and then figuring out the role of the center and all of that. I love that focus on, on the local leader and needing to make yes. sure that you're empowering them and giving them the room to listen to their unique context exactly. and their, their community. Um, I love that sort of people-first approach to, to growing and scaling an organization. We have, though, seen organizations that have gone too far in that direction, have really decentralized and allowed so much flexibility that the fidelity of the program has sometimes um, been lost. The impact might go down. So there are, you know, there is, as we've talked about, there's a balance yeah. there. Yep. So how have you thought about the things that do need to be centralized? Are there things that need to be centralized and and what are those in in the teach for america world yes absolutely so a bit of context for us so even though we're in 48 or 51 communities as you say um 
it's all very interconnected. So what, and the reason for that is that our core members, you know, our teachers are placed in a community and the, on average, they will stay there in that community for about five years. And then that Chicago, core member in Chicago will move to Massachusetts where they're from. But they're an alumni of TFA. And then there's a, there's, we have a region in Massachusetts, but their experience was in Chicago. Now they're in Massachusetts and it needs to, it's the same organization. And if it doesn't feel like the same organization, it's quite confusing. And this is where, you know, the brand of an organization gets compromised. Um, and so that just, that is really important as we think about the TFA context and, and the things that we've been grappling with. And um, so when we first decentralized, the thing that we, we went too far, I would say. Um, this is a massive adaptive challenge and we treat it as a technical one. So what we did is, you know, we assumed the why and the what of TFA, like the vision of what we're trying to do, how we describe the problem we're trying to solve, you know, that then leads to a systemic theory of change and that leads to a mission, that leads to approach. Like guys, this is all the same thing. And then we're gonna go execute in our regions and you're gonna, contextualize that. But this is what we're trying to do. And we have a, you know, a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusiveness, and we have shared metrics. Um, but then you go do it, right? Um, so that had always been true. And in the decentralizing, we said all of that remains true. And here are the rules you have to follow. So we had 20 what we called um, freedoms and mutual responsibilities. And they were like 20 of the most important things that we thought you know, would hold us together. Uh, things like the data management system. You know, we're all gonna use the same TFAC data because we need to track all of our donors and it's all interconnected, all of our core members, this is where we hold all of our data, et cetera. So there were things like that that just were so important. How we approach training our teachers was one model that we wanted people to then execute. The problem with it is we had scaled so quickly that these like first, we call them foundational, you know, things that just matter. Like you have to deeply have internalized what is the problem we're trying to solve? How does that play out? And when you've grown so much and our alumni are doing such different things and there's different interests, it can get quite confusing. And if you're not all on the same page, you actually find yourself in trouble because you real, our alums are saying like, this is so odd. This wasn't like my experience. And it's hard to hold a network together when people are having different experiences. And so instead, the thing we're course correcting for now is like, really getting clear on what are these things and ensuring that there's deep understanding on our staff about our foundations, the core tenets, the problem, all of this, um, the, the core values and you know diversity, equity, inclusiveness. We started to see regions actually develop their own core values. And so we're like, wait, you know, our core values really mean a lot to us at TFA because they normalize what we expect from each other in terms of behavior. And they've always been really part of our culture. Like they're not on a wall. They're like actually what we talk about. We have, it's part of our evaluation. I mean, it's a real part of what we do. And we started to lose the spirit of what is the one TFA? Like what brings us all together? And in retrospect, we should have really treated it as an adaptive change and understood what it would mean to then be in regions and national. And what is the role of the national organization, which actually is super critical um, because I don't believe our model would work if you don't have a strong, purposeful center that's doing a job. Mm -hmm. um, and we had to get clear on that strategy, which we weren't at the very beginning, um, but are working through that now. So it's in interesting to hear that it sounds like, as, as many social entrepreneurs do, we go kind of right to the tactics and the operation. Yeah. So we got really clear on data management and training programs, et cetera, <laughs> need to stay consistent. 
but assumed the softer stuff, assumed people understood yeah. the vision, the vision and the values, et cetera. Yeah. And so what I'm, what I'm hearing is that it's the balance of the two that, that needed to stay consistent for That's Teach for right. America. Um, and so then you were alluding to the, the role of, of Central yes. and still evolving, but curious to hear your, your thoughts on, on how, where you are now with what the, the role is of the Central organization. Yeah, so essentially we got clear on this about two years ago now um, where because we had lots of specialization in the center and um, a lot of just ability to manage and get in the weeds and go solve problems, we have decided it's just so critical that we're a learning, learning organization. We just have so many unanswered questions and we need to be spurring innovation in the field. And so I like to say we used to learn from the center. So the regions were looking up, what's the answer? And now we're learning like through the center. So it is our job to create the infrastructure and the capabilities that allows people to learn from each other. And it is our job to be able to spur that. Um, and so we're building that and, you know, we are 1501C3. And so there are just efficiencies that we capture by doing the work centrally. Our finance, our technology, administration, like all of that is run from the center and things like recruitment and admissions because that is a national, like our reach is national. And we believe having a centralized admissions process is super important because the variability that would come you can imagine if we decentralize that. So we've kept that central. And then honestly, just like brand management, um, where we're obsessed about how do you make sure that how we communicate and our marketing really feels like one organization. Um, and with the misalignment that I talked about before, like not having clarity of the foundations of Teach for America, we've seen that play out. And so we're working to figure out what's the balance of that where, you know, we shouldn't have 400, you know, social media pages, for example, um, where you don't understand what they all do um, and really are figuring out how do we communicate in a crisp, clear way that is constantly reinforcing the things of who we are and what we do um, as one. And so we're still working through that piece of it, but that's mostly how we're seeing it. And honestly, just helping to build capacity and capabilities in the regions based on what they need, based on the you know big questions we're trying to learn from, providing good data um, and, and letting folks make sense of that and, and test ideas in a rigorous way but all from the ground up like you know they, they have the idea we go to learn and then be able to share those learnings so let me pick up on that last point tell me tell me a little bit more about that process of testing and pulling data to see if something's working so allowing the the local and regional context to yeah. innovate and yeah. test but having central be able to yeah. draw lessons from it <clears throat> help with it manage it etc how do you think about piloting and testing those innovations? Yeah, so an, ex an example, a thing that has been really important to us that we've executed on in the last few years is you have to have some common metrics because you really do need to know what winning is for the whole system. Um, and so this year what we tried is these learning cycles is what we called it. So we have some data drops that we get, lots of data at various points in the year. Um, so just as one example to get really tactical, um, you know, we want to hear how the core member of our experiences is going. Like, you know, are they um, feeling supported? Are, you know, the expectations they had of us, are we meeting them? Do they feel valued? Like all of these things that really, you know, the experience of our core members is very important to us. And so we get data at various points. And so what we tried this year is at various points, we'd get this data drop and we have a central team that would go and 
do all the analysis on it and pull out the trends and what does it all mean. Um, and then we would get groups of our region. So we believe a lot, like part of the learning is collective learning and we believe we're gonna accelerate progress when we can together solve problems. And so we look at that information and data in groups. We share our theories on what we think is happening. And then we're going back and, you know, and with our teams and saying, here are the, here's our analysis of the root causes. Here's what we're going to test in the next six weeks. And we're going to get another drop of data at that point. And, you know, and then we share with each other, we're like, we don't buy that. Like, we don't buy that that's actually the root cause. And we don't think your strategy is going to work and why. And so trying to create a really rigorous way of looking at things. And then we go and we test and the regions go and try it. And then they come back as a small group again, you know, two months later or six weeks later, six to eight weeks later, same process. Um, so we're trying things like that to get in the habit of, looking at things and iterating quickly rather than waiting a whole year when then you, you know, you're like, well, now what are we going to do? You know, we have this plan for the year and it didn't quite work. We kept at it. And, you know, um, so getting in data at the right points and also teaching us data is numbers, but also like you have to look at quantity, qualitative and quantitative, and they both matter. Um, and so getting in the habit of like getting real data through focus groups and constantly figuring out how do we know if we're on track and then not being scared to change to say it doesn't work uh, and we have enough, but also not being too quick to know like we should give this a little bit more time. And we're trying to still figure out what's the balance of all of that. But that's a little bit of how we've been trying to implement this and get, you know, build different habits that you have to build when you're centralized and you're managing people to like how to create the learning um, that allows you to, you know, the science of learning, iterating, trying things, going back at it. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating, really yeah. great examples. It, it leads me to a question that, that we do often get from social yeah. ventures of that sounds great. How do you staff that? So how does Teach for America think about the team at Central, how many people is it? Are there people in each region that focus on data and testing and piloting? How do you think about the infrastructure and the people that need to support that process? Yeah, so, um, you know, regions can do whatever they want, truly. Like, they can figure out what they need, and some regions may decide we need, like, a, a real person that's like really strong in analytics and doing all of this stuff for us. But we see that as a value add at the center. So we work to have world-class analytics from the center because that's more efficient and it has you have to get it really right or it won't work and, and everyone has to have access to it. Um, so we have an organization-wide learning and systems team. Um, I can't really tell you how big it is, but it's a good, it's a it's a healthy team um, who is able to do all the analytics um, of the work that we are doing and, and, and you know ensure that there are trends. And the way that the model works is, so we have what we call partners um, who are assigned to cohorts of regions um, and there's like a program partner. And their job is to be an expert on the program stuff and be able to have people connect. And they take this data and they're able to share it in cohorts and be able to sort of help them process that a bit that then they take to their teams. This is a resource that if you get stuck, you can come back and ask them. And the job of the partner is to learn what people are taking away from it codify the insights that we see working um, that then feeds into a knowledge management system that all sort of comes together. Um, and so that is the attempt that we are making right now. And this is 18 months you know, old and it, we've had false starts on all of it, but that's the intent of you know, one piece of the structure and how we're sort of trying to connect all the dots. And these partners 
all talk to each other because we want to know what's happening all across the country that then boils up to one place and then ensures that our regions are able to have access to all of that. Give me an example of when we talk about the, the flexibility or the freedoms that you drive to the, the regional level, the yeah. local level. I'd love an example of where that has worked really well, what has evolved out of that, uh, and an example of where you felt like giving that flexibility actually backfired on you. Yep. Um, an example that worked really well is so about now maybe three years ago or four years ago, we had our first two regions say, we want to run our own training institute. Okay. So we've always centralized our training and it helps us manage quality and like, you know, sort of be in control of, of the training that our teachers are getting, which is very, very important in our model. And once we had decentralized, these two tenured executive directors said, I want to do this locally. Um, and part of it was they want to hire their own staff and have their full-time staff actually doing the training. So they get to build relationships and understand what skill building, knowledge, mindsets we need to you know, be focused on from the very beginning. And it just streamlines the core members' experience. A, they're teaching in the district where they're actually going to be placed um, and they're also like not getting handed off so before you know you meet your staff in the region then you get sent off to houston for the training you have totally different staff members who are training you and then you come back to the region and it's just not very fluid or you know and it could be bumpy if you're not it's not done very well um, and so we said we're going to let these folks do it what's your theory of development? Like, what, what's your plan? And what are you taking from our model? And what are you gonna innovate on? And they innovated on it. And it was terrifying <laughs> um, to let them do this. And I'm so glad we did. Um, because, you know, they're able to just show and illuminate learnings that we just, you know, had never seen yet. And I mean, now nearly half of our regions are running their own institutes. And it's a really interesting, you know, it's, it's a really interesting model and we're able to see great things happening as a, as a result of that. And so that's in that, and, and it has built a lot of community will and trust and you know, it's, it's very good for, for the communities in which we work that, that we're able to do that, so. It, it's a great example because yeah. if, if I, you know, could name a couple of things that seem really core to Teach for America and what makes it a high impact yeah. quality program, the training of the teachers is, is a critical piece of that. So it's a great example to show where, where you and the leadership team had to take a leap of faith yes. and really believe in what you were trying to do in decentralizing and allowing for that local flexibility. But then I imagine also have some checks and balances in place. So, so are there still controls there of as those you know, half of the regions are deciding to do training themselves, are you involved in that curriculum development in any way? Is, is there some sort of check and balance there to make sure that it feels consistent with the whole? Yeah, so it's led us to actually come up and develop a theory of leadership, um, a concept, a framework that just brings us all together and say, here's the leadership we're all trying to develop, which is a leadership, you know, working towards systemic change and sort of the pillars of that. What are the knowledge, the mindsets and the skills and all of this is what all of our core members must get. How you actually, you know, bring that into life is your thing. But we are developing a theory of leadership development by testing, bringing, having this theory and literally going to test it in a few regions and learning what they're doing and giving feedback and like very being very data driven on what's working and what's not so that we can then share that because we don't want people 
we, we do want people to have, you know, I'm not sure what to do that we could say, look, this is the best thinking that we have seen out there, but you should iterate on it based on your context um, and whatever. But we also want people to have the freedom who, you know, our executive director in Memphis, for example, has been around for a decade and very strong pro programmatically is showing us things that, you know, we is ahead of us on some of this stuff. And that's the that's what drives, you know, just new learning and innovation. And so um, we're excited about that. So definitely finding the balance. We definitely have a framework for leadership and the things we learned over time that are that matter. Um, and that make effective leaders effective. And so um, we're implementing all of that at the same time. So give me the other side. Give me a, an example of when it didn't work well and what you learned from that. Yeah, we talked about this, but I'm gonna bring it up again as a starting point because it's been one of the biggest challenges um, in the last two and a half years, which is the misalignment um, around what we do, which sounds so like, how is that possible? It's actually when you go from, we were a staff of 200 in 2000, and by 2015, we were a staff of like 2,400. Um, and so you're not, we didn't spend the time sitting down thinking about like, you know, what is the problem we're really trying to solve? And essentially, when we decentralized, I was like, everyone's going north. Everyone was marching north, in fact, like north. As it turns out, northwest is a very different destination than straight north or northeast, and it deeply matters because it's very confusing to our core members because they hear messages where they're like, wait a minute, but I thought TFA was this. I heard this from this staff member, and I heard this from this core member, and they're actually different things. Um, and so part of our journey has also been, and, and you're probably aware of this, you know, we, we hit a point where there's lots of criticism around Teach for America. And as one example, um, you know, we have a two-year commitment. And, you know, a lot of our people stay beyond two years, but at the very beginning, it's, it's a two-year commitment, and that's what we expect of our folks. We're getting a lot of pressure around, well, your people leave after two years, and you all should do something about it. And, of course, we're all for people staying beyond two years, but we started to obsess about, like, our messages, we need people to stay three and five years. But our theory of change is like, this is a systemic problem that needs leaders in classrooms, but outside of classrooms. And at the end, we just need to make sure this leader finds their passion and contributes the way they want. And so in some regions, it was like, oh, this is all about three or four or fifth year of teaching. And that's what we do here. We stay and we teach for five years. And not that there's anything fundamentally wrong with that, but that's not what we do. Like, that's actually not the promise we make to a person that joins us. And it was quite confusing. And so we needed to make sure that there was just alignment and deep clarity on what we do, why we do it, very per lots of purpose, and we're still on this journey of like ensuring just alignment, and then our program is aligned with that. Um, and so we've been working really hard at this for the last year, I would say, and it's something you cannot take for granted because it will, it, it will really throw you off and, and, and cause all sorts of risks to your operation and what you're trying to do. It's so interesting to think about really having that clear North Star and then communicating that effectively so that it, it resonates with all of your regions and with all of your leaders and, and is applied consistently. Because I could understand being in a region, getting that pushback about the Teach for America yeah. model and saying, okay, well, I can fix this. Our teachers want to stay. We'll talk about three, four, five years. Um, but like you said, having that alignment with the overall picture of, of the organization and, and the, the theory of change of what you're trying to accomplish exactly. in, in education. And it's not a technical challenge. Part of how we try to solve this in 2014, I think, was we wrote down what we are, what we're not, here's what we do, and handed it out to everybody and said, all right, let's go. 
And then I find myself two years later, like, oh my God, this is like our core issue. I mean, just deep confusion. And in fact, what we learned is we had to take people through workshops. Like, what are all the assumptions behind this? Like, what makes us uncomfortable about our model? All of our models are flawed. <laughs> yeah, they're all flawed. And so they are what they are and they aren't what they are. And it's accepting like, yeah, this, this is the limitation of this model. Um, and But this is what we contribute. And here's why we believe so deeply in it. Um, and being able to just understand that deeply and yourself really grapple with what you think about that, we've learned really matters. So it's not a, it's, it's really an adaptive thing and something that we just have decided at TFA. You just, this is like an ongoing journey. And so we're, we do case studies where we're surfacing examples were like, and, and it's not simple. It's very gray. You're in communities, real life. And people are like, wait a minute, if I say this to this constituent, it's not going to work. I mean, they're going to kick me out. Um, and so it's like, how do you communicate in nuanced ways, but not compromise what you do? And, you know, they're real interests and they're different in our communities. And so it's it's not like, oh, just do it. It's it's really gray and complex. And so we are just trying to surface and, and, and say, this is learning, like surface the hard problems we're facing. Um, we have alums who are third, who are our principals who say, I'm not, they literally were telling our core members, are you going to stay a third year? Because I'm not going to hire you unless you commit to staying a third year right now. And so, and then, you know, our staff are like, I'm not going to tell that principal that they can't say that. And I'm like, well, someone's going to tell that principal they can't say that, but that's, you know, that's really hard. And so um, we've just come to appreciate the complexity of it and then have just made it or try to make it just acceptable for people to raise these questions and say, it's hard, I need help. Like, let's just see, did we make the right choice here? And we're not always gonna make the right choice, but like, let's learn from that and do better next time. That's great. And now that you've been living this evolution of, of this balance of, of central control versus local yeah. adaptation mm -hmm. uh, and, and piloting and testing and learning lots of things along the way, would love for you to reflect back and are, are there any rules of the road or advice that you would give to other social ventures, social entrepreneurs that are just starting to think about this? Mm -hmm. So what are the things you wish you had been told 10 years ago when you were you know, starting this, this thought process of decentralization? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's the exact right thing for us to be doing right now. And having like full conviction around that is really important because it's easy to be like, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe this is the wrong decision. And you watch the evolution of organizations, even school districts, they like are very centralized and the decentralized and three years later, as you find them like fully back to centralization, because it is hard to manage all of these things. And we just, first of all, it's like being very clear on the purpose behind what you're doing. And for us, we believe that change happens in communities on the, from the ground up, it doesn't happen at the national level. It's like in communities with others. And so this just only makes sense. And the decisions are gonna be best made by those who are closest to the work. Um, and so we, we remain very convicted around the model. And I think that's just, just so important, the recommitment to that and not straying from that. And of course, always, it doesn't mean we won't ever become centralized. I don't know, but not anytime soon. I mean, we're just starting on this journey. Um, and it's, And I would go back to what I said, like just the foundational things that make 
your organization what it is. So for us, the things that just define Teach for America are so important that you're able to maintain that. And it can't be too many things is the issue, right? Because then people don't actually feel like they have the autonomy to run. And so I think the fundamentals of why, the what you do, your values, the things that really just you know set the norms of behavior are so critical to do centrally and you know let people go with the how. And then for us, it was um, a commitment to just like continuous learning, um, like just listening well, making sure we have good data that allows us to know is this working or not, and then making it you know acceptable to have these hard conversations together. Um, I just think it's so important that all of that is sort of in place. And, and if I had to go back, I would say the power of mutual responsibilities together, like it's a mutual thing, because you have this national regional divide all the time, and we just, we, we made that worse um, when we decentralized because the way we did it, and it was like, well, center's doing this and region's doing this, and there was, and, and instead it's like, we actually need each other. There's like a mutual responsibility to one another in order to, to, to you know, and the power of TFA is one. It's like the power of the whole, and even though change is local, the power of the whole is what makes us so powerful. So I think just deeply understanding all of that and, and what matters the most to be able to, with conviction, lead forward. As you reflect back on it, do you wish that you had moved towards decentralization earlier? Mm. Or do you feel like you had to go through the, <clears throat> the centralized control aspect of it to, to know concretely what mattered and what didn't before you could do the decentralization? I think we could have uh, done it maybe a couple years earlier, but not much earlier, because when we were scaling, I mean, a lot of the communities, it, it didn't feel different and we were trying to manage quality. I mean, I'd love to hear about an organization that can manage quality decentralized. It's just so hard, and I know that there must be. But for us, and I was our chief, chief operating officer at the time, it just, it, the stakes are so high. And so I, I think that was right. I don't regret it yet. Maybe in five years, as I learn more, I might have a different answer. But you know, I think that was right. And we could have maybe done it a few years later. And we may have caught some of the things we didn't catch as we you know continue to evolve um, but it's a very hard call for folks and all you can do is say we're making the best decision we have with the data we have right now and then you just got to commit and go and then learn from the things that you learn from that's great um, any final thoughts any final advice for for other social ventures that, that you'd like to share on on this topic of balancing control versus flexibility yeah um, I just would say like purpose really matters a lot, like the purpose behind what you're trying to do and ensuring you have a real strategy. Like there's a real strategy of what does the center do and what do regions, because my experience is if it's done well, you need both and they enhance each other. Um, and I really believe that about our organization. Um, and then just making sure you have good data and learning continuously is just, continuous learning is just part of the culture because I think that's when you know you can fix things that are wrong and it will be wrong. I mean, every strategy, if it's right, is stretching you and it's gonna be wrong. It's like how you figure out how to fix it once you get more information. Um, and so that's how I think about it. And so I just think people just being deeply grounded in where they are in their own life cycle as an organization and what's needed to, to take it to the next level. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elisa as much as I did. So I love diving in with her to some of the examples and tactics that Teach for America has followed as they've balanced that tension between centralization and decentralization.
some of the takeaways that really resonated with me included Elisa talking about really needing to be clear about what stays consistent if you are decentralizing. What are those non-negotiables? Some of those things were, were tactics, like data management systems or methodologies for training teachers, but also that importance of the softer skills, the focus on the North Star and the core values that were inherent throughout Teach for America. The second thing was about the, the balance of roles between central and the local regions. So at the local level, really having them think about the local context and how things need to be adapted to work well there, while Central provides some of those higher level functions, the finance, the technology, spurring innovation and learning and data collection, really figuring out where the power of the Central Headquarters is to support the local chapters and vice versa. And then finally, Elisa articulated their commitment to continuous learning. This is a journey, as is all things with scaling. You're not going to get it right the first time. And so it needs to be a constant process of innovation and learning and improving. And I think Teach for America's story is a great example of that. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Case in Point. We hope that you subscribe so you get updates about our upcoming episodes. We have some great conversations coming, including one with Anne Mei Chang, the author of Lean Impact and the former chief innovation officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development. And we also have a conversation coming with Lorraine Orr, the chief operating officer of the Boys and Girls Clubs of America some really great conversations, advice, and tactics that we can't wait to share with you. So subscribe to Case in Point, and we'll see you next time.